Yeah, welcome once again to Father Spitzer's Universe, the busy intersection where faith and reason intersect. I'm Doug Keck, kind of the gatekeeper here for Father Spitzer. Email your questions to us at spitzersuniversityewtn.com. Check out all of Father Spitzer's wonderful websites. There's the magiscenter.com and purposefuluniverse.com and spitzercenter.org as well. And of course, Father Spitzer's Universe is always available on our EWTN YouTube channel and our EWTN On Demand page. And while you're at it, check out our On Demand page for our latest Springs of Love Catholic Foster and Adoption Stories. We need them now. These inspiring real stories of foster and adoptive families will help you discern whether you are called to be a foster parent or to adopt. See it now and for free 24-7 through our EWTN On Demand page. So much new programming there. Check it out. Our topic for today, dealing again with the spiritual effects of pornography. Sorry, folks, whether you like it or not. And, of course, that's taken from Father's <laughs> Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church, available, of course, through our EWTN Religious Catalog. I'm assuming you already have that book. But if not, you can pick it up or pick it up for a friend. Our book of the month for January continues to be Standing Strong, Good Discipline Makes Great Teens by the one and only Dr. Ray Garendi, always some solid advice from Dr. Ray. And speaking of solid advice, we turn to our Mr. Universe out on the West Coast, the one and only <laughs> Father Robert Spitzer, for him to kick things off with a prayer. Oh, great to be with you, Doug. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us, the blessing especially of this ministry and our ability to serve in it. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit down upon us now to inspire our whole team, Doug, myself, and our whole audience this day, so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. We ask all of these things through Jesus our Lord. Amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Spitzer. I hope you've had a good week. Did. <laughs> good, good. So you're nice and rested because we're going to get into a lot of questions today to catch up with viewers' oh, questions. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, okay. uh, but first, I'm going to kick off with one story anyway. And I, it's not necessarily yeah. one that's uh, backed up, I can see, by statistics, but more anecdotal, but kind of interesting. Uh, and it's an article in The uh -huh. Federalist that says why Gen Z is ditching the girl boss for the trad wife. And it says, for women who have observed the unhappy zero-sum battle of the sexes, many feel that the modern world, for all its promises, has failed them. They go on to talk about, and it's kind of an effect, they think, out of the pandemic, of course, when a lot of people were at home uh, for extended periods of time and working from home. They say, instead of finding the home stuffy, boring, or trivial, many women found greater purpose and satisfaction than they previously had imagined. Uh, popular and aesthetically pleasing trad wife accounts, which I guess have been set up on, uh, on, on the web, gave women the encouragement they needed to combat the outspoken expectations that all women, even mothers, ought to rejoin the nine to five workforce. It's worth considering why Gen Z women who have the most professional opportunities and fewest barriers to education, work, and politics would flock in large numbers to trad wife influencers okay it's not saying they're all deciding to do it uh -huh. but it seems like they're interested yeah. in what these people have to say uh, no doubt the online accounts are more intense in their expressions of femininity homemaking or anti-feminist uh, sentiment uh, okay and uh, so it's kind of interesting that uh, you would see something like that 
happening? Your thoughts? Oh, no, I think uh, I'm not surprised in the least. I mean, I've always said that uh, children surely are the most joy-filled creations in the world. I think, of course, they can have their difficult days and their temper tantrum days, but there's just no, no, nothing like a child. The lovability of a child, the love of a child, the uh, uh, joy of a child, the uh, companionship of a child. Uh, I mean, it just gives life meaning. And even when those children become adolescents, Honestly, uh, the vast majority of them are such good adolescents. Yes, there are rebel adolescents, and there are some troublesome adolescents and some troubled adolescents. But in the main, uh, even the adolescents are great. Uh, I mean, the, but, you know, the, the, the very good, you know, I mean, they've they got to work through a lot of things. They've got to work through their independence. They have to work through the sense of getting into a larger uh, communitarian and social, uh, you know, network, et cetera, et cetera. These things are very difficult, but nevertheless, they are a joy. They are still loving. They are still lovable. And then as they reach into adulthood, you'll never have... You know, better companions in your life than uh, your adult children most of the time. Mm -hmm. Yes, sometimes there is going to be a disagreement about, you know, maybe morals or a disagreement, mm -hmm. uh, leaving the faith. But still, they are those little eternities. They were born for eternity. They were born for God. They were born for a transcendental life of perfect truth, love, goodness, beauty, and home. And to escort them into that life or to share your common uh, view of that life with them is so good that at the end of the day, mm -hmm. what better purpose could you get? You'd really think that the money, or you really, I mean, sometimes you need the money, okay. That, that, that's a different story. But I mean, if you really think that the nine to five and uh, going through the corporate uh, escalating ladder there, if you think that'll replace those children, Right. those little eternities, those deep intimate relationships, those purposes in life, uh, it won't. It simply won't. And once women have a taste of it, mm -hmm. and once they are able to compare it to the nominal satisfaction, comparatively, mm -hmm. of the nine to five, I mean, they may have to work, but at least they could work part-time or do other kinds mm -hmm. of things that could modify it so that they could really experience their children more and more. And I just think women are beginning to discover that yeah. and the old upward move, even though the women's movement would like uh, women to do that mm -hmm. uh, for the sake of social power, uh, I would say that at the same time, family power is a much right. better thing, a much more loving thing, and from God's point of view, a much more eternal thing than social power within a financial network. Yeah. So, I mean, there you go. Maternal power. I, I think, power. Uh, honestly, I'm not became, surprised. Right. Yeah, maternal right. power. That's yeah, well, believe me, I know maternal power. <laughs> My right. mom still pervades everything. There you go. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. I always say, you know, when a football player mm. always turns to the camera, he always says, hello, mom. He never says, I very yeah. seldom see him say, hello, dad. Yeah. Not that he doesn't love his father, yeah. but there's, there's, there's that connection, that, that, yeah. that, that bodily connection that can't, just can't be matched. Oh, yeah. But it's also the That's idea, right. I think, you know, we, we heard about, the, you know, the whole latchkey kids world. There's a lot of, 
uh, younger women who experienced growing up, either in uh, where mom was out the door all the time because she had to work, or there was a single mom, or or, or yep. just that they were both working, and a lot of uh, women felt like, you know, I that wasn't the best experience for me. I'm not criticizing my parents, but mm -hmm. maybe maybe there is another way, something else I can do different uh, to make it different for my yeah. kids and my family. Oh yeah, and I mean, you know, sometimes I, I think women feel the pull of trying to move back into the kind of, um, you know, quote unquote successful cultural model social norming kind of thing that we've talked about before the social norming uh, aspect pulls them back into um, the non-mom uh, uh, culture but uh, for all intents and purposes the satisfaction mm -hmm. of the mom culture uh, the satisfaction of being with the little eternities and the great good they're doing for those children even if they're working part-time, but they're not part of the, uh, the upwardly mobile social scale, et cetera, um, is so satisfying that uh, they can actually um, uh, feel content in the long run uh, right. to disconnect uh, from the, the, the social norming aspect that's pulling them back right. in. And for all intents and purposes, uh, mm. they find their own network of people uh, that they're content to be around. Right. Exactly, and you would think uh, coming out of the COVID uh, situation where, let's say, remote work and working from the home, uh, you know, obviously exponentially increased yeah. uh, and has continued at a, at a pace certainly uh, greater than it was before and the acceptability of it's out there. So there's probably greater opportunities for somebody mm -hmm. to be able to try to make something like that work. Oh, yeah, and when employers try to get back at them and say, well, actually now, uh, COVID's over, we need you to come back into the office. There are just plain a lot of women who are going, uh, it's not worth it to me, can I get a part-time job and, uh, and still work at home? And if the employer needs them, he's gonna say yes, mm -hmm. or she's gonna say yes. And so for all intents and purposes, uh, right. you've got another um, stay-at-home mom who's working part-time. Right. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, I think it's, <laughs> The, you know, kind of secret blessing from COVID uh, mm -hmm. uh, for uh, our families and especially for uh, the kids of those families. Right, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's get to some questions uh, that people have sent to us. Mm -hmm. uh, we got quite a few, so we might as well start a little early here. Dear Father Spitzer, a friend of mine is concerned she has been unintentionally cursing people. Okay, she likes to give out miraculous medals, but then came across a story on the internet about false miraculous medals. Okay, among other things found on these what? cursed medals, the face of Mary is supposedly the face of a demon. I, I, I apologize, I don't mean to laugh. I looked at the ones she had and the face could resemble a demon, but I think it was just poor casting quality of a cheap medal. She has these medals blessed before distribution, so could she be passing on a curse, Cheryl? Cheryl, the answer is N-O-N-O -no with a capital N. You can't unintentionally curse anybody. Mm -hmm. A curse, by definition, is intentional. You want to bring malice on the person, right? So uh, by definition, it's an intentional act. 
So you can't unintentionally curse. Sorry, uh, but uh, you can't. The second thing is, is you know, even if somebody should cast a medal like that with a malicious intention, if you passed on that medal <clears throat> without knowing it, it would be a miraculous medal. And all you need to do is go and take that medal and have a priest bless it. Mm -hmm. And if you're not sure whether it, you know it's a demonic face or Mary's face, just make it Mary's face and have a priest bless it and that's right. done with it. Your friend is fine. It's absolutely impossible to unintentionally curse anybody. And so uh, right. uh, worry not about it. Even if you were to pass on a genuinely cursed medal, mm -hmm. just remember when you pass on a medal, bring it by, you know, and the priest is standing by the door, uh, you know, as you're leaving mm -hmm. the church, just say, hey, Father, this happens to me like uh, almost every week. Hey, Father, can you bless all my rosary? Can you bless these things I bought at the gift shop? And right. I just, uh, absolutely. Uh, no priest is going to say no. So just uh, have it blessed on your way out the door. Or if right. he says, hey, just wait a minute until I greet everybody uh, who's leaving church, um, just spend a couple right. minutes uh, uh, and wait for him, and he'll get all those things right. blessed for you, and you'll be fine. Right. It's not an amulet. It's not something that's carrying this, uh, yeah. you know, force with yeah. it, you know. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, exactly, you, exactly. You've got to be careful with that, too, because it, that can lead to superstition. Sure. Uh, so, uh, well, that, too, yeah. Right, yeah. Dear Father Spitzer, over the past yeah. 40 years, I have served our parish and lay ministries and worked closely with our assigned priest. Each day I pray a rosary and mention those priests who have departed and ask them to continue to guide me and pray for me. If the priests are in purgatory or have made it to heaven, are they allowed to pray for me? and to help guide me. Do you have any other suggestions for me when praying for these deceased priests whom I work with and help me so much? And this was John. John, um, I got to tell you, absolutely you pray and ask them for help too because um, I think, uh, you know, purgatory, right? What, how does the church define it? Right? It's a place of purgation. It's a place of purification, right? You're trying to get closer and closer to God. You're trying to imitate the loving heart of Christ more and more. You're, you know, you're trying to take away from your egocentricity, your urge to dominate, your urge to kind of just follow your, your um, sensorial desires. You're trying to grow closer to Christ. What better way to grow closer to Christ than to pray for John? So my thought would be, you bet, you ask them, and they, I'm sure, will be doing it because I'm sure that part of my life in purgatory, and I am going to purgatory, I'm no perfect type, that's for sure, uh, I'm very sure of that, um, and so uh, I can uh, um, uh, say with, uh, um, you know, if I hear that uh, plea from somebody like you and I'm there in purgatory, I'm definitely going to pray for a person like that and anybody else who asks me to pray because I think that'll be part of my purification. And, of course, it's completely consistent mm -hmm. with the unrestricted love of Christ. Okay, very good. And prayers are never wasted one way or the other. Uh, and prayers are never wasted. Dear Father Spitzer, in the book of Revelation, God stated, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Uh, since I don't think I have what it takes to become a saint, this guy sounds like, this person sounds like you, nor the stomach to do evil, yeah. I seem to be stuck in this mediocre, lukewarm condition. It terrifies me that this almighty, that the almighty will spit me out of his mouth. And this is Ellen, I guess, talking oh. about Laodicea, the city. Okay. So, but. Yeah, yeah, Leah, yeah. 
Um, well, here, Alan, is my thought. Number one, the book of Revelations, you know, be careful with capital letters. Uh, the vast majority of that book is metaphorical. It is not literal. That's the first thing. Then the second thing, uh, in any biblical exegesis, the first thing you do, what's the first principle of hermeneutics? You gotta look at the context in which the word is uttered. Is he speaking to Alan, the individual who's trying to be a good guy Maybe he's not there like Father Spitzer. He's not at sainthood by any stretch of the imagination. But on the other hand, uh, he's trying like um, as hard as he can to, to be, you know, um, right. a good person, to, to not sin. I mean, um, uh, is he speaking to that person? No, that's not the context, uh, Alan. The context is about various city-states. And some of those city-states are exemplifying courage and determination amidst persecution, and some of those city-states are not. And so what he, um, the author there, uh, let's just call him John the Disciple, um, or John the Prophet, as he's called, right, to differentiate him from uh, the Johannine letters and the John of the Gospel, right, this is a later writing, um, and is very metaphorical, right? So the first thing we got to do is uh, say, well, what was he talking about? He's talking about these city-states. And what mm. are the city-states doing? They're being lukewarm. In other words, they're letting their faith go because a bunch of guys are threatening them. Mm -hmm. So um, he's trying, this guy's trying to say to those community churches, remember, the early churches are community churches. Mm -hmm. It's not like a big, huge population that's going to, uh, you know, 300 churches uh, in the Diocese of Orange or something, mm -hmm. right? This is basically um, a, uh, um, a, a bunch of community churches, and he's telling those community churches, don't be lukewarm. Mm -hmm. Don't let the threats get to you. Keep doing, of course, be as, in, as innocent as doves, but also be very sly, you know. Uh, uh, make the clever moves you need to make, mm -hmm. but don't give up your faith. Don't become lukewarm. Don't let the threats get to you. Keep practicing your faith. Do it prudently so you're not going to bring persecution mm -hmm. on yourself, but don't let the threat of persecution get to you. And that's what he's really talking about. He's trying to get these guys to to really, um, you know, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, be firm, right. uh, to stick up uh, for their faith, even in the midst of all these threats that are going on in the ancient world. So, Alan, it doesn't apply to you. It doesn't apply to a specific individual who's trying to pursue a sainthood. Uh, he's really talking about people who are really giving up their faith um, because they're threatened uh, with either social isolation or they're threatened with um, some financial loss or some kind of a, a persecution, and he's saying, don't do it. Right. So you're free and clear. And by the way, Alan, I'm free and clear because I'm just like right. you. I'm yeah. trying not to sin, but I am no perfect person. Well, I have to so apologize because uh, because of my New York accent. I, it made it sound like it was Alan. It's Ellen was the person we were. Uh, Ellen. Oh, Ellen! I'm Ellen. so sorry. So well, I Ellen, want to you and I are the same. To Ellen. But I didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to interrupt you while you were making the point because it, it 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 works for Alan as well as Ellen. So, but yeah. we want Ellen to know <laughs> we, that was her, her her letter. Next up, dear Father Spitzer, Very why good. does why does the Shroud of Turin show Jesus with wounds in his wrists? But the saints who receive the stigmata have a wound in their hands. This is from Kelly. 
Okay. Kelly, well, here's the reason. First of all, um, we only have one hand that's covering the other hand, and all we have is the exit wound that's coming out of his wrist. We can't actually, because his wrists are, mm. uh, his hands are lying down like this, we don't see the entrance wound. So if you really, though, if you um, look at the work of Dr. Frederick uh, Zugabe here mm. and several other very fine pathologists, their view is this, that the nail goes into this kind of right here, the base part of the palm mm. uh, of the hand in the front. And then it's going, if you curve your hand like this, mm -hmm. you can feel that little curvature, right? And that's called the thenar furrow. And there's a little um, space uh, going down that thenar furrow. And the, the Romans knew very well where it was. So they placed uh, the nail in the palm of the hand and just pushed it down, you know, um, at an angle until it got into that space for the thenar furrow. And look at where it goes. Mm -hmm. It goes right to the back of the wrist right here where the, um, there's a complex of nerves around uh, some bones that kind mm. of have the shape of a V, and you can just uh, feel it coming out there, and that's where the exit wound is, and those, that would have held the hand onto the cross. The Romans knew that they couldn't put it just straight through the mm -hmm. palm because this is very fleshy area, and the hand would have just pulled away but pushing it down the space of the thenar furrow down onto the rich wrist makes the exit wound come out the wrist, but the entrance wound mm. is in the palm just like you see uh, in the stigmata. Okay, very good. Next up, dear Father Spitzer, I feel highly disturbed whenever I read from Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Those he tells to depart mm -hmm. sincerely thought they were doing the will of the Father. How can I be at peace knowing I am truly doing the will of the Father and Jesus will not tell me to depart at the last judgment? Stan. Well, Stan, this is the, you know, um, uh, the reason that we have a sacrament of reconciliation mm -hmm. and we have frequent Eucharist, which forgives of venial sins. But Stan, you sound like a very faith-filled guy to me. Mm. And you sound like the kind of person that's trying to do the will of God. In other words, as you just said in your letter. So uh, you're um, uh, pretty much, uh, you know, I look at that um, person, you know, um, who says, uh, you know, um, uh, Lord, Lord, you know, help mm. me out. Um, you know, and uh, um, you know, you throw yourself upon the, the mercy of God. Well, I know that Jesus says in passages that those who, like the, uh, the prodigal son, who throw themselves on the mercy of the Father after doing a staggering amount of damage, the Father forgives him and admits him right back into the household. Mm -hmm. So how can you reconcile these two passages? They seem like they almost contradict one another. What Jesus is trying to say is just going around saying, Lord, Lord, just mm -hmm. going around saying, you know, I'm a Christian, uh, just going around, um, uh, you know, uh, as it were, going through the motions, mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, not really sincerely entering into the religious life is not enough. I mean, in other words, it's the whole idea of, you know, a lot of kids say, well, I believe in God, uh, you know, or I even believe in Jesus. And then they stop. 
They basically say, well, I say a prayer in my room. I do all these things, you know, uh, but I don't have to go to church, mm -hmm. right? I don't have to uh, sort of uh, try to study the Bible to see what the, the Lord is actually teaching so that I might follow his word, right? I don't have to, you know, uh, get in contact with other people uh, who are Christians so that we can together try and make this struggle to follow the moral teaching of Christ. The point, of course, is belief is not enough or just calling on the Lord's name um, you know, in the old private prayer is not enough. Mm -hmm. We also have to try and follow the moral teaching of um, Jesus, which is, I believe, the moral teaching, of course, of the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church was made and appointed by Jesus to be the definitive interpreter of his teaching in future generations, as we read in Matthew 16, 17 through 19. So the main thing there is, well, what can we do? Well, number one, uh, follow the teaching of the church. Well, how do you do that? Uh, number two, go to the church, go to sacraments, receive the Holy Eucharist, try to listen to that homily or uh, get what you can uh, from the homily and associate with that community so they can help you and you can help them. Uh, when you fail, uh, go to the sacrament of reconciliation, right? And of course, um, you know, the, the main thing is, is try, you know, constantly mm -hmm. um, uh, to, uh, to, to educate yourself so you can understand more um, about what the Lord is asking. The Catechism of the Catholic Church is a real good way to do that. Or you could even read the Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. It's a thick book. Maybe you don't have to do that. But the main thing, of course, is to read the Catechism Part 3 on the Moral Teaching. Uh, that's a good way to do things. And just to try and follow that as best you can. Um, you're going to have times when you fail. There is the sacrament of reconciliation there for you. Uh, the forgiveness of your venial sins and the transformation of your heart will happen if you try to go to communion as often as you can. Mm -hmm. And you're just going to be fine. You're going to be, you know, the Lord is not trying to trick you. Right. I right, mean, you're right. trying to do your best. You're trying to you know, learn his word, you're trying to follow his teaching, albeit you're not going to be perfect any more than I'm perfect. Uh, so, I mean, the, the main thing is we get to the sacrament conf confession or something when I, I'm impatient or do my usual thing to, uh, uh, to be offensive to somebody <laughs> uh, or, or something of that nature. I don't want to do it and I regret it, but of course there's the sacrament. And of course, um, uh, you know, try to, you know, educate yourself, learn mm -hmm. more and more, stick around that community and learn from them and, and try to help them as they help you. And you're going to do just fine, Stan. So um, stick with what you're doing. I think, you know, you might want to, if you want to do some more uh, mass during the weekdays mm -hmm. or you want to, uh, you know, learn a little bit more about the catechism or something of that nature, uh, try to look at a book like Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church right. or another right. book on moral teaching that might be helpful to you. Right. And certainly you could watch Father Spitzer each week on our on-demand page <laughs> or on our YouTube channel as well. As we, we've got about two minutes uh, until Absolutely. we got to take a break, so I'm going to try to squeeze this one in. We'll see how squeezable it is. Dear Father Spitzer, is it true that as light passes through glass without harming the glass, so too Jesus passed through the womb of Mary in a miraculous manner without any harm to Mary's physical virginity? That's the quote. 
In my 25 years as a Catholic, I've never heard this, and it seems to me that it contradicts our belief in his humanity. And this is from Barbara. Oh, gee, Barbara, I haven't heard anything like that either. So uh, we're both in the dark. Yeah. Uh, I might, it might mean that uh, this is somebody's spiritual interpretation. Uh, um, if you're asking whether it's church doctrine, it is not. Right. Uh, I don't think the church has, uh, you know, talked about um, Mary's physical virginity not being affected by her, uh, the birth of her son, mm -hmm. um, but one way or another, I don't think it's relevant to doctrine. I don't think it's relevant uh, to your salvation. Um, and uh, so I would say, well, you can believe it if you want, not believe it if you don't want, but I don't think it's gonna affect you one single bit, and I don't think the Blessed Virgin Mary will be insulted one way or another. I think you're in good shape, but uh, that one is as new uh, to me as it is to you. So uh, sorry to be ignorant, but um, I don't think uh, you have to really worry about it uh, from a doctrinal point of view. So if you want to go with the more biological explanation, uh, go with that too. Right, okay, with that being said, you actually beat the clock, so to speak, here, and we're gonna take our break <laughs> wow. slightly early. For the first so, time. so we'll put an asterisk <laughs> on this one. So Father Spitzer, <laughs> you stay there and keep up the good work, <clears throat> and you stay with us as well as we take a very short break here on Father Spitzer's Universe. Much more ahead, some questions still to be answered. Thank you so much for staying with us for part two of Father Spitzer's Universe. The topic we'll be delving into momentarily from Father's Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church book is the spiritual effects of pornography. But first, we're going to uh, finish off. We've got about three more questions for Father. Uh, okay. Uh, dear Father Spitzer, I read an article about the church tax in Germany. The government collects eight or nine percent of a person's income on behalf. Uh -huh of different religions and gives it to the respective churches. This entitles the taxpayer mm -hmm. to the services of the church, such as baptism, weddings, and funerals. I can't speak for other faiths, but this seems wrong in the Catholic Church. I understand the church has expenses, but not everyone has the resources to give a set percentage of their income to the church. And this is Adele. And I do know, uh, obviously, because we have a, an entire German channel, uh, so we have some familiarity yeah. with the situation over in Germany, is that it used to be if you were a Catholic, you couldn't opt out. Now you can, in fact, opt out of that, I think, over the last three or four years uh, to paying the church yeah. tax. Uh, and I think there's probably yeah. some upside to it, but there's probably some downside to it as well. Yeah, well, um, just two quick things. Um, uh, it applies not just to the Catholic Church, first of all, it right. applies to Protestant churches. So uh, if you choose a denomination, uh, basically, um, the government used to, that was prior to four years ago, mm -hmm. used to impose a tax on people. The church actually did permit it, so um, it wasn't wrong by mm -hmm. the church's uh, view, uh, nor the Protestant church's views, nor uh, the Jewish synagogue's view, et cetera, et cetera. So for all intents and purposes, um, that was done across the board for all religions in Germany. Uh, the problem was that, um, in a way, 
um, you know, uh, a, a lot of people believe that if you couldn't afford it, then you really couldn't uh, indicate your Catholicism or your whatever Lutheranism mm -hmm. uh, that that, uh, that you professed, because of course you would be uh, taxed if you if you said that. Um, or sometimes it forced people away from the church. Right. Um, but uh, the, the German um, uh, tax thing is uh, proportionate to income. Mm -hmm. So it's like our tax system. So if you are poorer right. and you, can't, you don't pay taxes because you have a, 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 you know, a, a, a level of income below uh, what the, the starting point of tax payment, you wouldn't pay uh, anything anyway because you don't pay taxes you wouldn't pay a percentage of your taxes uh, to the church. So um, that uh, is basically right. it. Uh, would the church or the Catholic Church ever deny uh, somebody services um, if uh, they went to the church and they hadn't paid the tax? Of course not, because the church doesn't take attendance when people come. I've been to a, you know, at least uh, seven or eight different German churches mm -hmm. uh, throughout many different towns. Uh, prior to my ordination, and then even after my ordination. And of course, uh, you know, being an American citizen, I didn't pay any taxes. But of course, nobody was ever standing at the door to deny me services mm -hmm. if I didn't declare myself uh, to be a Catholic in Germany to pay the appropriate taxes. So, and as uh, Doug just uh, indicated, uh, there is an opt-out provision mm -hmm. now right. uh, in Germany. So, I mean, uh, there it is. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the church has uh, approved it for many, many years, but it was done on a sliding scale of right. income proportionate uh, to the taxpaying ability of the person. Right. I remember Mother Angelica always said it's always good to rely on God's providence. So sometimes having uh, fixed yep. income is a nice thing, but it can get to be something where you start to f focus on the fact that you don't really need to do that much, uh, you know, to keep the money coming in. It's important for people to rely on Absolutely. Uh, the fact that you're impacting people's I, lives positively so with what you're Absolutely them, that's so. that's right you and know. she's right on the marker right. the, uh, the more your income depends on the quality of your work the more the quality of work, work. will be guaranteed right. and the <laughs> inverse is true as well and the inverse is also true. <laughs> As we've seen. Okay, here's another question. Dear Father Spitzer, I'm a recent convert to the Catholic faith. I'm divorced from my husband, but recognize the church still considers me married. I'd like to raise my children in the Catholic faith, but my ex-husband disagrees. How should I perceive It's Dana. Well, Dana, first of all, uh, uh, even though your husband disagrees, he's now uh, separated himself from you. and. If you're raising your kids, you bring them to the Catholic Church. Mm. I mean, uh, that's your prerogative, and that's what you uh, agreed uh, to uh, when you joined the church. Uh, he cannot, uh, what he agreed it was not to prevent those kids from being raised Catholic. So for all intents and purposes, you go ahead and take, him, uh, take those kids right to church. Uh, he cannot interfere with you, um, with your obligations from afar. The second thing also to remember is if you're uh, addressing the point about an annulment, if that's where you're going, that he's not going to agree uh, to an annulment, still go down and do the annulment proceeding, even if he doesn't want to do any of the work for the annulment. Uh, I think you can still, through other uh, uh, external testimonies, uh, there might be um, a, a way of approaching that procedure mm -hmm. even without uh, his testimony 
uh, you can ascertain that maybe um, uh, he too uh, was not free to marry. Right. Uh, he too was not, um, you know, agreeing uh, to having uh, children to be raised in the church, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So these things uh, can be adjudicated right. even if he stubbornly refuses to comment. Right. Absolutely. And one last question, uh, dear Father Spitzer. This one is kind of a headline, and it's out there about. And we've talked about this somewhat. Uh -huh. In the event it has been proven alien life does exist, how can one stay faithful and right with God? I already told myself I'm still going to be a follower of Christ. Could aliens possibly be the work of demons? And this is from John. And, and this is, there's, there, you hear about this here and there, about that the, the aliens really aren't aliens because they're really demons. Well, first of all, I mean, I guess demons can take any form, but why would they want to take the form of an alien? I, I would say, I mean, if, if uh, you, know, uh, you know, remember a demon is an angelic being. It can take the forms uh, that it wants, and generally, why would it uh, alienate, as it were, uh, mm -hmm. you from itself by taking the form of an alien, an alien presence. Why wouldn't you just take the form of a very friendly human? Mm. Uh, that would seem much more in line with its desire to tempt and deceive you. But even in the case, you know, of aliens independent of there being demons, there may well be aliens out there in the universe uh, who are not demons. Um, that's certainly possible, but two distinctions have to be made. Mm -hmm. uh, the first distinction um, is that, you know, there's alien life which is not intelligent and self-conscious, and then there is alien life which is intelligent and self-conscious. So, for example, maybe there's an alien bacterium, maybe there's an alien plant, maybe there's an alien animalic, like a simple animal, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with some form of sensate uh, consciousness on the lower, lowest possible level. Maybe that is, uh, maybe they're out there. And why wouldn't they be out there? I mean, let's face it, if let's say there's 10, at the very least, maybe 10 to the 12th, um, exoplanets out there, maybe 10 to the 11th exoplanets out there, a at the very least, uh, you know, that's pretty good, uh, um, you know, uh, a number of, uh, of exoplanets out there. Uh, what is that, a billion trillion or something? Uh, that should be a, a fairly good number of exoplanets. And um, if you look at that, um, you're bound to get, if all, if God has programmed, um, you know, all of the, what I'm going to call uh, laws of the universe, including the biological unities and the biological uh, laws um, uh, into the uh, uh, Big Bang, into the universe at its inception. Mm -hmm. If he did that, and you've got like 10 to the 11th exoplanets out there that are planets that are very similar to the Earth in its position from the sun, having a uh, uh, you know, a magnetic uh, core that can keep, you know, deadly rays away and things of that nature, sources of water, etc. If you've got a huge number of those exoplanets, you may well have some alien life forms, bacterial, vegetative, animalic, that could be out there, mm. um, even on the simplest, but maybe on a complex level. Maybe you'll find alien chimpanzees, but that's a very different thing from finding an alien who has five qualities. Self-consciousness, 
Self-consciousness cannot be explained by merely a physical processes and structures. Uh, I have a book called Science at the Doorstep to God. Mm -hmm. uh, if you get that book, just read chapter five and you'll see the proof, not just from me. These are very, very good proofs, very telling proofs uh, from you know, uh, philosophers and from scientists who doubt this very seriously. Um, the second thing is what we call um, conceptual ideas. A conceptual idea is different from a perceptual idea. Monkeys, dogs can have perceptual ideas. And perceptual ideas are when you correlate a symbol with a specific individual thing. Like the symbol, the American Sign Language symbol for dog, you can correlate, um, like the word dog, or the sign language symbol for dog, you can correlate it with a specific dog, my dog Fido. Okay, and will a monkey or the dog get the idea, you know, of a kind of that, when I say dog, it's going to think of Fido. Mm -hmm. Yes. When I say rock, will it think of the specific rock I correlate? Yes. When I say banana, will it correlate it with a specific banana? Yes. So the dog can learn, I mean, the dog or, or the generally Nim mm -hmm. Chimsky learns the symbols. Dogs don't learn symbols, but they do have perceptual ideas that they can dream and things like that. So lots of animals can have perceptual ideas. Conceptual ideas that um, form the basis of mathematics, right? Uh, th these are pure relationships. So where I understand north, south, east, west, there is no north out there that you can point to to get a perceptual idea of north. It's a relationship. Or when I say one, two, three, four, I'm seeing one and two and three in relationship to each other. There's no one out there. Of course, I can point to the numeral one, but it won't mean the number one in terms of the first in a related uh, arithmetic sequence. I'm not going to, you know, I won't understand that. It'll just look like a numeral that's there, right? The perceptual idea of one is meaningless. It's the number one, the relationship. Mm -hmm. now, all of mathematics are relationships, right? They all require conceptual ideas. Nim Chimsky can learn literally 150 to 200 words in American Sign Language for perceptual ideas like banana, rock, tree, and dog. But Nim Chimsky can't learn one conceptual idea, not even sufficiently enough to understand the relationship, the group, right? You, you, in order to get a group, right. you need a conceptual idea. So if you're going to use a dog as a predicate, right, like, um, um, you know, uh, uh, um, Fido is a dog, uh, you know, uh, uh, the group of dogs, right? That's a conceptual idea. If in order to have a direct object or a predicate, you need a conceptual idea. Nim Chimsky can learn 150 to 200 words, perceptual ideas uh, for words in American Sign Language, yet but, can't even distinguish can, can between Nim Chimsky build dog... Build a, build a spaceship, because I think a lot of these people are focused on <laughs> less on Nim oh, Chimsky yeah. uh, space creature than they would be probably Klaatu yeah. from the day the Earth stood still. You know, the idea that there's yeah, okay. there, we're being visited from outer space by intelligent life that has yeah. the ability to create vehicles far beyond right. our imagination and travel at distances we can't right now. Right.
Right. So, I mean, if, if Nim Chimsky can't distinguish between man bites dog and dog bites man, obviously Nim Chimsky can't be, build a spaceship. Right. And so what does it require? You're going to have to have what we call a soul. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to have a transphysical right. nexus of consciousness and intelligence that, that can form relationships. You can't form a relationship out of merely... Uh, um, merely concrete, that is to say, physical processes and structures, it takes more. And even Berwick and Chomsky admit this, and why only us, that there has to be some atomic elements of language which are relational of themselves. They're not, uh, you know, linked to a specific concrete thing. And that means that basically all the animals in the world simply do not have any conceptual intelligence. If they have no conceptual intelligence, then no um, complex relational linguistics, no syntactical linguistics, no mathematics, right? No abstract ideas, no building of spaceships, no technologies whatsoever, right? Of course, the Nim Chimsky can learn how to take a rock and crack a, a coconut. Yes, but Nim Chimsky cannot, uh, you know, figure out a technology, an intermediary technology uh, to build something that will, um, you know, affect navigation or fishing or something of that nature. The main thing, though, is uh, can um, Nim learn certain habits from people? Yes. Mm -hmm. But the idea of inventing technologies, the, uh, you know, putting together spaceship, anything which requires abstract ideas, anything that requires mathematics, anything that would require science as we know it, forget about it. However, if you find an alien that can do that, then you've got to figure that alien's got a transphysical soul. Mm -hmm. And if that alien has a transphysical soul, he did not get it from evolution. He did not get it from a biophysical process. Yeah, okay. He got it because a transphysical cause like God gave him a soul. And then if transphysical cause gave him a soul like God, then God intends that alien to be uh, catechized and baptized. So if you see an alien that thinks like you, has transcendental desires like you, has conceptual ideas like you, and has self-consciousness like you, has religion like you, has a moral conscience like you, get him going into the catechism <laughs> class, teach him about Christ, and baptize him. There you go. That's okay. my thought. Very good. Okay. <laughs> Let's hit, uh, in the closing minutes here, we'll get to, to our topic. Uh, on page yeah. 150 uh, in your book, True and False Promises <laughs> of Love and Sexuality. You, you talked about it earlier, about, about how the evil one works. You say, first he leads us to an opportunity for sin, then inflames our imagination with a desire for more, then provides rationalizations through interior suggestions from the culture, mm -hmm. hoping we'll freely choose to follow him more deeply into the temptation. I thought it was interesting because it's important that we move into freely choosing, right, from his perspective. Right. That is correct because without freedom, of course, the, the unlove or the sin is not going to originate from you. So he has to make sure, the evil spirit has to make sure that you're doing this thing freely. That's why, of course, the evil spirit is always mixing in deceit with his sinful and unloving behaviors that he's trying to tempt you to. He's a good gradualist, and he's a good trickster. I mean, basically, the, the evil spirit comes. He's not going to overtly say, you know, I want you to have violent sex with this person or something like that. He's, he's, what he's going to do is say, 
this picture is harmless. Mm -hmm. Why don't you look at this? And then he kind of leads you along. Oh, I want some more than this. This is not ultimately satisfying. I'll take some more. And then, you know, eventually you, you begin to lose empathy, um, as we talked about in mm -hmm. a previous program, right? The more, you know, pornography you look at, the more you lose empathy with your wife, your kids, and the people around you. And of course, if you lose empathy, you lose care. And if you lose empathy and care, you're not loving very much anymore. And by the time mm -hmm. you're done with that, then he comes along and he says, you know, um, I think, uh, you know, you need to move to the next step. If you really mm -hmm. want to be satisfied, you got to go out and do these, engage in these risky sexual behaviors. But then when you step over the line and you start doing those things, man, you're going to get into a lifestyle that not only increases your depression, it's going to put wreck, literally wreck your spiritual life. That huge University of Oklahoma study that just shows mm -hmm. the more you read pornography, the less you pray, the less you read scripture, the less you go to church, and the more you do it till it becomes addictive, it just practically goes down to zero unless you fight it. But if you do fight it, you got a chance of preserving your religion. If you just give in to it, your religion's gonna go too, and it's a, a, a very major study. So the main thing I, th I think mm -hmm. to, to, to take away from all of this is, yes, nip it in the bud, mm -hmm. nip it in the bud. If you get tempted, don't think, oh, this is just a minor thing, I'm just looking at this. Don't start it. Don't give the old gradualist trickster his way, because mm -hmm. the more you, you give in, he's gonna go to the next level, go to the next level, until he's got you pretty much away from empathy, away from religion, and of course, he got you nice and depressed, mm -hmm. he's got you nice and irreligious, he's got you threatening your marriage, you have no empathy for your kids, and then he comes up with a suggestion, you need something more, what mm -hmm. will really satisfy you, and then fill in the risky sexual behavior that he's going uh, to suggest, but mm -hmm. he's gonna get there because he's relentless. If you give in and you stop fighting, then he's got the right. upper hand. But if you keep fighting, he'll never give the, get the upper hand because even if you give in and you are fighting the whole way to the point where you gave in, at least he can't get you to the next level. Mm -hmm. The more you fight, the less likely you are to go to the next level. But he has to get you to the next level. Just so keep fighting. Right. Keep, you know, get some... Well, uh, some right. uh, software that you can put on your computer, like uh, Covenant Eyes or any one of a number of many good ones, or get right. um, some uh, 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 an accountability group if you're really hooked on it, uh, some people that you know who you'd allow access to to see what you're searching for in your search right. engine, and then call you to accountability right. if, if it's getting uh, overwhelming to you. Right. As you're saying, son, the best way to deal with the pervasive problem of pornography is to resist it at the very outset because yeah. it, it snowballs in yep. your life. You also make the point here that St. Ignatius of Loyola knows that the Holy Spirit does not leave us alone in this path towards darkness. And in fact, you even say in a lot mm -hmm. of ways, he brings on that guilt for you to realize as you're separating yeah. yourself to, as a warning sign, right? Yeah, absolutely. And oftentimes the Holy Spirit doesn't even have to bring on the guilt. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit, or I mean, but obviously 
the Holy Spirit, that is to say God, can work right. in your conscience to produce guilt. No right. question about that. And guilt can oftentimes be an indication from God himself about shrinking up. But even as you kind of, you notice what pornography is, especially that correlation of University mm -hmm. of Oklahoma, if you're kind of, you know, not fighting it and you're going to higher and higher levels of exposure and addiction and so forth, you're going to notice right away as you do this that you feel emptier, you feel more alienated, you feel lonelier, you feel a kind of a detachment, a sense of meaninglessness and dread. As you begin to feel these things, and they'll normally come if you're not fighting the addiction, right, or fighting the habituation to it, right, if you're not fighting, you're going to notice, I feel more empty. And then that guilt um, that comes to your conscience starts combining with being detached mm -hmm. from God. That's what's producing the emptiness, the alienation, the loneliness, and so forth. You, you're, you're away from God. You feel like you're in a, um, like you're um, in a dark zone, and you don't have any mooring for your identity. You just have no mooring for your uh, hope. No mooring of eternal life. No. Uh, no sense of your ultimate dignity mm -hmm. and, and destiny, you're kind of like floating. And, and of course, no one wants to be floating. No one wants to have that sense of being without substance interiorly, that sense of emptiness, or just being alone in the cosmic or totalistic, or that, you know, of course I got my friends and family, but beyond that, it's all darkness and blackness mm -hmm. and emptiness and so forth. But, you know, the more you separate yourself from God, the more these feelings are coming. You're looking at yourself in the mirror when you're shaving and, or you're just going to, to, you know, sleep at night and suddenly something just hits you uh, that, you know, you're just like, you know, like alone, uh, utterly alone and, and, and there's like uh, this absence of meaning uh, just as you're drifting off to bed or maybe mm -hmm. even in your dreams, you know, this thing is kind of hitting you. Or, you know, you've got, uh, you look at, like I said, you're shaving or something in the mirror, you're looking in the mirror and nothing's staring back at you, feel utter emptiness, uh, a void kind of, or even, like I said, you compo compound that with the sense of guilt mm -hmm. and you wind up being like Yosef K in Franz Kafka's The Trial, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, this sense of an utter malaise and meaninglessness. Or the same thing uh, with Rodion uh, Raskolnikov mm -hmm. in Crime and Punishment, Fyodor Dostoevsky's great work mm -hmm. of, you know, just being like detached from, unmoored from real substance, and you're like the vapor, you know, that's there, and of course it's haunting, it's, it's terribly alienating, it's just like this free-floating detachment from relevancy and from warmth and from love and from goodness, and that, that really is a disturbing fact. So um, to make a long story right. short, uh, you start using that pornography and you're going to see those things combined with the guilt and it makes right. for a very a dark life. And that's why the depression level too uh, increases, right. not just the decline in spiritual life, but the depression right. level increases with the pornography feeling. Right. He prompts you to do it and then accuses you when you do. So with that being said, That's we, we're, we're, we're going to have to wrap up this week's uh, yeah. show, Father Spitzer. Okay. So if you'll give us your blessing on the way out the door, that'd be great. Absolutely. And uh, bow your heads and pray for God's blessing. And may the Lord of all consolation and love 
continue to support you through your acts of going to church and receiving communion, trying to follow the teaching of Christ, trying to pray. May all of these actions in your life to follow him ground you and fill you with meaning and fill you with purpose and fill you with hope until you reach the eternal destiny in his love and joy. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Spitzer. Be well. We shall see you next week. And likewise, Father Spitzer's books and DVDs are always available through our EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com. Next week, we'll continue talking about the spiritual effects of pornography from Father's book. And this weekend on Bookmark, The End of Woman, How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us by Carrie Gress. The interview, I hope, is good. The book is excellent. Check it out. And Light With Us, the new documentary that's coming up, shows how volunteers in the Catholic Church are providing relief efforts and spiritual presence to those suffering from the ongoing effects of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Please pray mm. for all those people. Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, especially for EWTN Ukraine, our brothers and sisters there in Christ. I'm Doug Keck. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on Father Spitzer's Universe.